two or three or 15, 18 are gathered together. There is the Lord in our midst as well. Uh, so we're going to get started on our session today for Sunday School. Again, this is a carryover. Uh, it's been a while uh, since we talked about the first half of this issue. We're going through uh, issues in practical Christianity for this uh, semester, and we're on the issue of Christians in secular work. And so we're, we're carrying over from where we were three weeks ago. Um, we've had discussions on hospitality and sexual purity in the meantime, and now rejoining uh, our discussion of practical Christianity. Before we uh, open, uh, before we get into our, uh, our stuff today, our topic, let me open in prayer, uh, and we'll seek the Lord's blessing together. Gracious Lord and God, we thank you that you are the great worker, the first worker, the prime mover of all that is. You're the sustainer and upholder of uh, the the galaxies and the universe. You uphold the universe by the word of your power. And as Christ told the Jews, uh, you even to this day are working and so he is working. Help us, O Lord, even on this day of rest to consider the work that you call us to. Help us to consider the way that you have placed us in many places in the world. Uh, You've given us tasks to do to glorify you and to build up one another. And so help us to consider these things. Uh, Give us wisdom with one another and for one another, uh, and give us wisdom from your word and by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, a, a guiding thought for us today is, as we begin, you know that I'm uh, useless without, without a text, um, so let's tuck away in the back of our minds, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Uh, Now, this is uh, obviously the culmination of Paul's teaching on the resurrection, uh, teaching on the fact that the body is good, and God cares about the body, and he cares about the things that we do in the body, uh, and that because of the resurrection of Christ, our bodies will also endure. And he's fighting against this sort of uh, Christian dualism that says, well, all you need to do is have a nice little spiritual life, and you can ignore all the things that happen in the body. Uh, And Paul says, oh, no. Uh, always abound in the work of the Lord, the things that God has called you to, uh, knowing that in the Lord, that is in the resurrected Lord and the the power of his resurrection, your labor is not in vain. So we're talking about labor today, we're talking about work, and just a reminder, this is where we ended. Uh, We build a sort of basic understanding, a foundation for us to think about work uh, in general, and then we are beginning to get into everyday principles. And we're going to pick up in the middle of that second section here, but before we do, I want to just, uh, just quickly recap, what did we talk about? What did we go through last time? Uh, and we began uh, thinking about work much like we think about marriage. Uh, thinking about work is like thinking about marriage in that to, to get a real understanding of it, we have to go all the way back to the beginning. Marriage is something that God has given not just to believers but to humanity. And work is something that God has given not just to believers but to humanity. It was given as a good thing. It was given as a reflection of God's character. God is the first worker and he's given us work as an expression of his creativity and uh, to be a part of his goal of redemption for the fullness of time to gather all things together, things in heaven and on earth, uh, to gather them together in Christ. And so he gives us work, not as the Greeks thought, uh, as a sort of punishment by these gods who have trapped us in a physical dwelling, but he gives us work uh, as something that is dignified. Uh, He gives dignity to our work by being a worker. Uh, The fact that we reflect his image and we work for lots of different things. We work to steward the creation that God has placed us in. Uh, It's his and we are his and all of our work is unto him. We find that when we turn into the New Testament Uh, And we see that whatever our hands find to do, we should do with all our might as unto the Lord. And we're stewards. That's part of the work that we have in the world. Not just work in the church, uh, but work out there uh, in the world, whatever uh, secular callings we've we've been called to. Uh, We work to support one another. And in our work, we ought to support one another. Notice that uh, when you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, you have man uh, made in God's image, male and female, uh, you have the woman brought to the man as a helper, uh, that help meet the one who completes what is lacking, in a sense, uh, in him, that makes uh, all the work that needs to be done, all the dominion 
uh, all of the subduing of, of creation, uh, the, the wife, Eve, makes it possible together with Adam for them to do this uh, and for them to build human society uh, and to, uh, to expand and fill the earth. There is the cultural mandate back in the first chapters of Genesis, and our work is a part of that cultural mandate, what God has called us to, to, uh, to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth and to subdue it. So that's what we saw, as work as it is in the beginning. Uh, and then we considered work as it has been affected by sin. Uh, you go to Genesis and we find that work has been frustrated. Work has been frustrated by God as a curse. Uh, this is uh, going along with, with Ecclesiastes. This is part of the problem uh, that we find. We look in the world and our labors don't satisfy. Our labors don't even do what we want them to do. We, we we expect our work to be productive, to, uh, to make things and to steward things and to shape things. And we often find that our work is frustrated, that it, it doesn't return uh, on the investment that we put into it. And it's, re it's been frustrated because of the curse. Uh, creation and human authority have been disordered. The curse on the woman there, that uh, her desire will be to, uh, to be over her husband, but he will lord over her. And so we talked about this uh, this breakdown of human authority structures, uh, that those who are under authority want to rebel against authority, and those who are in authority want to abuse authority. And that expands not only in the home, but expands into the places where the Lord has placed us in work. Uh, it expands into the ways that, uh, that employees uh, think that their employers have no idea what they're talking about. Uh, I have worked in, uh, you know, before I came to seminary, I was, uh, I was working in a factory, and every single person on the factory floor, every worker, thought that engi every engineer was stupid, right? The engineers who are sending down the, the plans and the, the details for the people that are on the floor, they don't know what they're talking about, but we know what we're talking about. Now, I, I imagine that from the other side, you see a lot of that same thing, right? So if you're under authority, you want to rebel against it. If you're in authority, often you want to abuse it. And this is a part of the curse that we find uh, that is, uh, is over our world and over our work. This curse also creeps into us, creeps into our approach to our work. Uh, so now there is competition uh, instead of uh, cooperation. Now there is selfishness instead of stewardship. Now there is idolatry in our work. Now there is laziness in our work. Now we take everything that ought to be good about working in the world God has created, and it's twisted. It's twisted because of the way that God has cursed it, and it's twisted because of the sins that we bring to it. Nevertheless, work remains. Now, work remains not as an evil, but it does remain as a struggle. And so the, the, the curse uh, sort of amplified the difficulty of our work, but the curse didn't create work, right? God didn't show up in, in chapter 3 and say, because you have eaten, now you have to work. No, no, no. They already had to to subdue the creation. God already made a creation and said it was good, and part of the goodness was that man and woman had to subdue it. Well, now, as they try to subdue it, thorns and thistles will it produce for you. Uh, as uh, I can't remember who said it. Um, the ground fights back at us now. Um, and so we, uh, we move. And then uh, MacArthur said, I think I quoted this when we talked before, uh, that the curse... Uh, moved uh, humanity, moved man from being a gardener to a farmer, right? You take what was pleasurable, what was good, what was enjoyable, what was productive, and now it becomes industry, it becomes labor, it becomes frustrated. And so work remains, but it's not an evil, it's a struggle. And then we took this giant leap over the gospel. We, <laughs> we pole vaulted uh, over all of redemption and the idea that, okay, well, there is this problem of sin, but in Christ Jesus, we've been redeemed from our sin. We're being sanctified uh, in, in opposition to our sin. Uh, and so now we are sinners being sanctified, and our sanctification includes our work. So that brings us to 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And we spoke also a little bit about uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 uh, to 12. So here is this Christian church in Thessalonica, and they are uh, tempted by the same sorts of things that were uh, tempting the, uh, the Corinthians. This idea that, well, maybe the day of the Lord has already come. Maybe uh, the goal of, uh, of our lives is just to be uber spiritual, 
And so we're going to loaf. We're going to have somebody else in the church care for us and provide for us. We're not going to be productive. We're just going to be lazy. Paul says, anybody who doesn't work, neither shall he eat. And he tells them uh, in, in this sort of startling statement uh, that if people don't pay attention to this injunction in the church, you should have nothing to do with them. Uh, Paul uses some pretty strong language sometimes. Typically, when he deals with people who cause division in the church, uh, in Titus chapter 3, uh, he talks about warning those who create divisions in the church, and after warning them once and then twice, have nothing to do with them, knowing that they are uh, sinful and warped and self-condemned. So he, he talks about schismatics, and what, you, what do you do with schismatics in the church? Will you remove them? You have nothing to do with them. He uses the same language for those who refuse to work. Uh, in in uh, 2 Thessalonians, he says, if anybody doesn't pay attention, have nothing to do with them. Uh, don't uh, don't uh, overcome them, uh, but, but warn them as a brother. It's part of trying to help uh, one another see the seriousness of our sin and the importance of work that God has called us to. And so here are, here are Christians, and they ought to be busy in work, not in spite of our theology, but because of our theology. And then we had this summary here uh, that work is the intersection uh, of dignity and difficulty. Summarize work by saying that it's a good gift that has been frustrated by sin, and Christian workers are sinful people who are being redeemed. And so part of our sanctification is to work toward that good gift that the Lord is giving us. And so we came to uh, our everyday principles, what I was calling a lightning round, uh, and I gathered uh, six people to get this first round of texts, and we talked just a little bit, uh, trying to rust through some of these things as we were coming to the end of our class last time. Uh, Colossians 3, we learned that in our work, we ought to work to please God, not man. Psalm 15, we learned that we ought to be honest even if it causes us loss, right? Blessed is the one who, uh, who swears to his own hurt. He's the one who can dwell uh, in the courts of the Lord. That's what it says in Psalm 15. 1 Timothy 6, that we ought to honor authority uh, in our jobs. Romans 12, an acknowledgement that you can't always do it, but so far as it depends upon you, as far as it rests on your shoulders, live peaceably with all. And so what are the conflicts that we take with us into the workplace? What are the conflicts that we have and the callings God has given us? Well, uh, conflict may not always be possible to avoid, but so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Uh, Ephesians 5, don't participate in works of darkness, but instead expose them, expose fraud and deceit. There is a time and a place for what today we call a whistleblower, uh, for one who says, actually, these books are being cooked and somebody needs to know about it. Now, that's a good thing to live uh, and to expose where fraud and deceit are happening. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, we learned that we should work prayerfully in all that we do. We should pray at all times without ceasing for, for all things. Uh, ceasing, not seizing. Uh, should pray without seizing as well, but pray without ceasing. Uh, so uh, we, we learn to work prayerfully. Now, we're picking up in the middle of this lightning round. I have six more, and so I need six more volunteers to grab some of these uh, passages for me. Who wants to throw a hand up and take the first? Philippians chapter 2. John, Philippians 2, verses 14 to 15. Who's got next? Mike, you've got Matthew 6, verse 24. Charles, you've got Proverbs 21, 5. Bill, you've got 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 to 19. Uh, Nick, you've got Matthew 6, verse 11, and one more. Scott, sorry, Dave, I'll get to you next time. Scott, you've got Deuteronomy 5, 13 to 15. So we're, we're picking up, again, as I mentioned before, right where we left off, and what we're doing is we're taking God's word to work. Uh, so if you have been assigned, you volunteered for one of these passages, we, we need you to read that passage with a clear, loud voice so we can all hear you. And then I want you to tell us how do we apply this in our working uh, day jobs or, or our, our home work. If we're working in the home, what, how do we apply this to the things God has called us for? Who had Philippians chapter 2? John, why don't you read that for us? Verses, uh, what is it, 14 and 15. All right, John, take it to work. How, how do you apply that? Philippians 2. Mm. 
Yeah, thank you for, for picking up the whole passage, not just jumping into the front, uh, but, but sort of working it backwards from our public witness. We're to shine as lights in the world, and we think about all the things that could ruin our public witness in the world, and probably one of the things that, unless it was in the scriptures, we wouldn't normally connect with that is grumbling and complaining, right? We, we want to be blameless before the world as the Lord enables us to, and I really like uh, the fact that you read the King James there, uh, and instead of grumbling, it says murmuring, uh, and that is uh, an onomatopoeia, right? What does murmuring sound like? It sounds like, you know, uh, it's, it's that sort of under your breath. And so it's, it's the employer giving you the task, and instead of saying, have I been called to this, you say, is this comfortable, right? And there's a diversion there, and, and you, you say, uh, you know, I, I don't really want to do this, and maybe I'll do it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to at least let everybody within earshot, anybody who gets close enough to hear my grumbling know that I really don't want to be a part of what's happening here. Dave, can I add to that? Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's whining. Uh, it, it's almost like a workplace gossip. Can you believe so-and-so told me to such-and-such, and I have to, you know, and, and we get, uh, you know, in the doldrums, and, and we just sort of, we grind on that same note, uh, and, and it just, uh, it takes over. Good, so, so avoid complaining, and avoid complaining and grumbling, particularly so that we would be lights in the world so that we would maintain our Christian witness because other people are watching. We do all things for the Lord to glorify him, but other people are also watching and we want to, to glorify him in the eyes of other people. Bill? I bet you have no idea what that's like, right? <laughs> the AP uh, it, it was probably always just on the straight and narrow. Great. Who had uh, who had the next one? Matthew six. Mike. Take it to work, Mike. What do you do with that? Yeah, I mean, pretty clear cut on this one, right? Don't, don't make money your God. Uh, don't make money the thing that you serve. Of course, the way that we work in our, in our modern economy is that we get a job so that we can pay the bills. There's a necessity going on there, but it can go too far, right? We can, we can get in our mind that I need to have this job to make more money, even though the money I've already got uh, is providing for my family, is allowing me to be generous in the church and to give to missions and to support all sorts of things. But wouldn't it be nice to have more? 
And so you can, you can do all sorts of things, like Mike is talking about. You can, you can just work too much, right? You can, you can pursue that almighty dollar, or you can change your working practices. You can put other workers down so that you would be elevated. All sorts of things creep in when in our working life, we're working not for the Lord, but we're working for the money that we can gain for ourselves. Good. Uh, Proverbs 21.5. Charles. How do you apply that, Charles? Yeah, and remember, Proverbs gives us these general principles, right? And the general principle here is, if you want to succeed in your business, if you want to do the things, not success in the worldly standard, but all the things we've been talking about, uh, you want to serve the Lord where he's placed you, you want to you be productive in society, it's not just going to fall into your lap, right? Uh, work is hard, especially since the fall, and it means that we need to plan, we need to endeavor, we need to, as, as well as we can, sort of map out what are the steps to get from point A to point B to produce this and this way to, to cause this, uh, this sort of thing. You know, most of us don't show up to our jobs and say, I don't know, what do I feel like doing today? Uh, you, you show up to your job and you've got a list of, well, these are the projects that we're working on. This is the trajectory the business is going in. These are the things that I can do to contribute to the overall mission of whoever it is and whatever it is where I work. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, unless we're the sort of uh, Tim Ferriss four-hour work week sort of model, we, we don't just show up and say, I don't know, what do I want to do today and how quickly can I get it done so I can get on to the next thing? Good. So planning is, is an important part of our work in the Lord. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 to 19. Who had that one? Bill, thank you. All right, so how do we apply that to our working life, Bill? Uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan uh, in the 80s had a, had a little tune. I think it was a, probably a cover from somebody else. Uh, it was about Willie the Whip and his Cadillac coffin uh, being buried in the finest style. He went down in this big El Dorado, right? Uh, so it's the same idea. That What are we working for? Are we working for the nest egg? Are we working for the U-Haul we can put behind the hearse? Are we working for that Cadillac coffin? Uh, are we working so that we can serve others, we can be generous? Right, that's, that's the goal, that's one of the goals. Of course, we're called to provide for our families. Right, and that's a, that's a good thing. It, it would be a shame if, if we went off to work uh, and impoverished our families uh, to support other people. But we need to provide for our families, but also see how we can be generous. And so we, we need to understand, as, as you pointed out, Bill, we are the rich in this present age. And so we need to take this pretty seriously. You're gonna add to that. Yeah.
Yeah. Let me suggest to follow on that, that he, he may bless you in un, intangible ways. As you give to his kingdom, it, it is not a, uh, a one for one, right? It's not a quid pro quo where I gave this much to missions work this month, and so God ought to give me a raise when I go and talk to my boss. No. <laughs> uh, he does say, he, he challenges in the Old Testament, uh, put the full measure in and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and make your grain bins full. Uh, well, he, he may do that, right? Uh, but he may also make our hearts overflow with the joy of being a part of the work that he's doing in his kingdom. Uh, he, he may join us together with brothers and sisters around the world as we, as we give to those works. It may not always be uh, a financial uh, kickback that we get when we use the riches that the Lord has provided through our work uh, to serve in his kingdom. Good. Uh, sorry, go ahead, Greg. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, that sounds very, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a familiar twisting of scripture to say that money is the root of all evil. Well, well no, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Uh, that's what Jesus actually says. Uh, and I think you're, you're perfectly right. And what James brings out there uh, is, is almost a paraphrase of what Jesus taught, right? Don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. So, so James is telling us, look, you can see uh, the, the moth-eaten, the rusted corrosion of the things that you've put your... Uh, your whole life and your energies work into, it was just to store up treasures here on earth. And so the, the challenge is, use what the Lord has given you, be thankful for what the Lord provides for you through the work he enables you to do, and then use that to bless others, to, to be generous in the world where he's placed us. Yeah, absolutely. Where were we? Matthew six eleven. Who had, uh, Nick. Well, you got the long one, didn't you? I'm sorry, I don't think we... No, go ahead. So how do we apply that, Nick? So we ought to work trustingly, right? We, we talked about working prayerfully last time. We ought to work trustingly, and part of that prayer is that the Lord would provide what we need. We don't need to be anxious, right? He, he uses, uh, in, in the same Sermon on the Mount, he talks about the, uh, the flowers of the field, the birds of the air, and God provides for them, and, and can't you also, because he provides for you and you know it as his child, can't you also seek first the kingdom of God and wait for all those other things to be added? There's this, there's this attitude of trusting the Lord that he will provide through the things that, that uh, we're doing for the things that we need. Good. And then the last one, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. Who's had that one? Uh, Scott, thank you. Perfect. Thank you.
All right, so how do we apply that one, Scott? And so this, this plays in with what we've spoken about already, as Scott mentioned, that, that we work trustingly. We, we work not to make our work an idol or the things we can amass for ourselves an idol. Uh, and the reality is that there is a time to stop working. Uh, all of you Hebrew scholars in the room, do you know what Sabbath means? It means stop. It simply means cease. <laughs> it's a day of stopping. It's a day of ceasing. The Lord has given us uh, this day that we should stop working. And can you imagine, I think we might have mentioned this uh, last time, can you imagine living in an agrarian society where God shows up in the middle of harvest and says, one day every week you need to not go into the field? Can you imagine the anxiety that makes you feel like, if I don't get it now, I might lose it, right? The, the mice might come, the raiders might come, the whatever might happen, and I might lose this thing if I'm not working ceaselessly. And God says, wait, stop, rest, trust in the Lord. And, and we chose, I chose uh, Deuteronomy 5, 13 to, you're right, it was 12, 12 to 15 here. Um, instead of the other parallel passage in Exodus, because Deuteronomy, when the Lord speaks to the people now, you, you realize uh, he gave the law first at, at Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, when they came out of Egypt. And then Deuteronomy is the law repeated. Deuteronomos, uh, Deuteronomy, is the second law before the people went into the promised land. And he repeats these Ten Commandments again. So the Ten Commandments show up in Exodus 20. They show up in Deuteronomy 5. And when the Sabbath regulation is repeated in Deuteronomy 5, it adds this language uh, that's more explicit. And he read it, on, you shall do no work, nor your son, your daughter, your male servant, female servant, or your ox, or your donkey, any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. And it, and it adds this purpose clause. Why? Why should we do that? So that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. There is this concern for the work of other people, for the rest of other people. Again, can you imagine in this society, you have a slave. And God says, make sure they get to take a rest. That slave belongs to me. I get to tell that slave what to do. They work for my uh, purposes, right? They work so that I can be fulfilled. No, God says, make sure even those who work for you get a rest as well. I think that might set up a, a larger discussion. I'm intending to have one of these discussions on how we keep the Sabbath. What are the things that we do that cause other people to have to work on the Sabbath? It's part of what we ought to consider. Uh, but here, the, the, the implication is clear that part of our work is knowing when to stop. And part of knowing when to stop is knowing that we can trust the Lord and know that he will provide for us. Okay? Uh, so we, we've gone through some of these uh, little daily, everyday principles. And it brings us back uh, to these big questions. And, and this is why we extended this into two weeks. Although now we have only 20 minutes. I've done a great job wasting time again. Uh, so big questions. Uh, alternately, we could call this how the pastor offended everyone in the room in less than 15 minutes or maybe in, in 20 minutes as far as we go. Now, I'm about to put some questions on here to spur some discussion. They're not necessarily questions that I have a, an airtight answer for myself, but hopefully I can provide some principles and you can provide some principles. Uh, but there are things that I think we ought to think about. Uh, and, and areas where if we're not talking about them here, maybe they can spur some discussion 
later on. This is the place where we may have disagreements, where we're reading Scripture so far and saying, well, here's how you apply it, here's how you apply it. Now we're going to read situations, right, and say, well, how does God's Word come to bear on this? We're moving in the opposite direction, right? When we're talking about Scripture, we may have different understandings, but we can always go back to the Word and say, well, this is actually what it says. <laughs> it, it says, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Um, you know, and we, we have a basis there. When we talk about these big questions, we might disagree, and we might disagree about which, and, uh, which passages and how we apply them uh, to our situation. So a softball to get us started, right? Uh, and I've also arranged these in a sort of beginning of your working life and ending of your working life as we go through them. So a softball to start, how should a young person maybe anybody, considering maybe a, a second life career choice or, or something like that, how should a young person go about deciding what sort of work they should pursue in life? There are some obviously sinful occupations that are out there that we should have nothing to do with. Uh, but other than those things, are there theological considerations that should guide us? There's the question. We're not going to spend too much time on it. What would you say? Young person comes to you, how do I know what I should do and what I should choose? Kathy, hold on, Dave. Hold on, Dave. I'll call on you next. Kathy. Okay. So, so an aptitude, maybe. They can say, you know, I, I see that you're very caring. You, you, you would be an excellent teacher. You'd be an excellent home health care worker. You, whatever it is, they can see other things in you and help you discern that. Good. Good. Sorry, Dave, you were, you were going to add to that. <laughs> All right, so you're going to, so Dave's going to detract from that. Go ahead. I, ha I have a how question. How should a young person go about deciding? Thank you. How should a young person go about deciding? Alana. Absolutely. That's, that's similar to what Kathy's saying, that other people can help you see what gifting has the Lord given you, right? What talent do you have that maybe other people don't have that, that you can use this to great effect in the, in the workforce, in, in the world, being a steward of the creation God's put you in? Excellent. So we, we think about gifting. I, I saw Tim and then Greg and then Matt and then Bill, and we're going to spend all of our time on one question. Tim. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're advancing. Well, here's, here's the concept you brought up. You brought up the idea of God's calling. And that's something that, as today we celebrate Reformation Day, is part of our Protestant heritage, right? Up until the 16th century, there was a divide where you thought, well, there's secular work where God calls people into the ministry, and, or, I'm sorry, there's sacred work. God calls people into the ministry, and there's everybody else doing whatever they can. But, but the idea of the priesthood of all believers, largely through Luther and those who came after him, recovers this idea that God has callings for us in lots of different places. And how do we discern a calling? Well, we discern from an internal sense of calling. What do we, uh, here's, uh, here's Sproul. He says four questions for young people. What can I do? What do I like to do? What would I like to be able to do? And what should I do? So there are questions of 
God's providence. Where has he put you? What are the duties you have to fulfill? There's also a question of aptitude. What do you like to do? What can you do? What could you be trained to do? What are the needs that are around you? We can't take all of our time to, to deal with all this, but, but let's recover the idea of a Christian vocation. Uh, if Tim Bleeker was here, he could help me with the Latin, but it comes from the Latin to, to call. God's calling, that's our vocation in the world, even if it's a secular vocation. I saw Greg and Matt and Bill and Ronnie. So, Greg. Yeah, that the Lord would give us a sense of what is the work he's done in our life? Where, where has he planted us and prepared us? And, and how is he at work? And what are the encouragements that we have? Prayer, absolutely. Matt. That brings us back to that, that question from Sproul, what should I do? Uh, here's, uh, I, I took that from a, it's actually a chapter out of one of his books, uh, How Can I Know God's Will, but it's talking about God's will in your job. Here's what Sproul says. He says, some of us are sanctified enough to perform assigned tasks for which we lack motivation, doing them as proficiently as we do other tasks that are more enjoyable. However, the people who are so sanctified make up an infinitesimal minority within the workforce. The reality is that, that God probably does call you and gift you for certain things and not for others. Now, there are providential duties, right? My grandfather was a millwright, and he went to work every day at the same job in the same plant outside of Pittsburgh to provide for his family. If you asked him, hey, Jack, what do you think your, what do you think your calling is? My calling is to provide for my family. What do you mean, what is my calling? There, there are providential needs that, that we follow where the Lord has placed us. And that is a good thing, right? Uh, has the Lord enabled us to, to provide for our families? Th that's a calling too. Where has the Lord placed us? Where are other people encouraging us and, and, and pressing us to say, no, 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 you, you need to do this. Good, I saw Bill and then Ronnie, and then we're going to move on. Okay, good. Ronnie. And let me also remind us all that this is a modern problem, right? How did Jesus decide he wanted to be a carpenter? His dad was a carpenter. That's what you did, right? Uh, for a vast majority of the people in the world, they do what's in front of them. They do where the Lord, you know, they do what they can where the Lord has placed them. And we need to, that doesn't mean it's a wrong question to be asking, but let's recognize the station that we have uh, and say, like Ronnie's saying, maybe sometimes you just persevere. Right? What has the Lord enabled you? Well, you persevere. You, you figure it out as he opens those doors and allows you to walk through them. I, I'm going to maybe leapfrog over this question because it's pretty similar to the one that we just dealt with. 
uh, but, but from a leaving a job standpoint. If you're supposed to work heartily for the Lord, do all things excellently and submit to authorities who are over you, how do you know when it's time to leave a particular job? How do you know when you've you got to get out of there? Dave? You get, well, that's, uh, that's providential, isn't it? Yeah, uh, that's a good time to leave when they, when they take your badge and tell you to pack your stuff. Yeah, Kathy? That's the next question. So we'll, we'll think about that. What do we do? But that's true, right? And so you're starting to give us an answer for the next question. When an employer asks you to do something that is against his will, that offends your conscience, you might have to be prepared to walk away from that job. Yeah, I think that's a good answer. Rob? Yeah, uh, Redeemer still hasn't figured out that I'm not actually the pastor. I keep showing up and preaching, and uh, yeah, I, I haven't heard that story, Rob. Yeah, Scott. Yeah, so here are some things to think about there, uh, and we've covered some of them. I think same as the above. Consider God's calling. Examine your motives. Why are you in this job? Are you in this job just so you can fill your bank account? Uh, reconsider godly contentment. Maybe you want to leave a job because there's an opportunity to climb the ladder somewhere else. When you pay attention to the statistics on uh, how often Gen Zers and Millennials switch occupations compared to earlier generations, it blows your mind. <laughs> how often they jump from one to the other to the other to the other. Uh, that gets back to my comment to Rob. Um, yeah, but um, any other thoughts? Reconsider godly contentment. Pay attention to red flags. Tim, do you want to speak to this one or the next one? All right. Well, that, that's all yours then. Third big question, what should a Christian do if their employer wants them to engage in behavior that the wider culture deems appropriate but offends the conscience of the believer. Here's one example, not the only example. One example, you're a teacher and you're expected to refer to transgender students according to their preferred pronouns. Other examples? What do you do? Tim? I'm sorry? Okay. So you're in the pharmaceuticals, right? You're a chemist, PhD chemist, and you've worked for companies, you've been bought out, and they expect you to, to develop compounds to aid and accomplish abortions. Yes. Yeah. So what do you do? Tim says you leave. Yep. What do you do if every pharmaceutical company is developing abortifacients? There you go. These are not easy questions to answer because you're, you're weighing, well, they are easy in, in a sense, right? You, you can't call light darkness and darkness light, but you leave your job, you've got a family with eight kids, right? How do you provide for them? These are things that you weigh, uh, but in the end, you've you got this question mark. And what if you're working for the company, but you're not on the product line that's developing the abortifacients? Yeah. 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 Craig. You're in this situation, aren't you? 
Yeah, in your termination, uh, in your cultural cancellation. So-and-so professor at Berkeley speaks about students this way. Can you believe it? And the mob descends, and they get your home address, and they follow your wife and your daughters around. Yeah. These, these are not easy questions, uh, and, and you start to wonder, well, is, is a pronoun that important? Glover, Glover, yeah. And, and you sell that vision on, our product can do this. And the developer's like, our product can't do that. And the salesman's like, oh, we can totally do that, right? Uh, Anthony Farrow was a, was a member of our church for a long time. He was in uh, sales support from a technological side. And he would do that. Uh, he would go and sit in these sales meetings, and the salesperson's saying, oh, we can make this happen. And he's like, it doesn't work that way. Um, well, you, there are repercussions there. Um, you know, so, so one avenue is... Tim says, if your company's involved in these practices, leave. Uh, another one, uh, a la maybe James or, or uh, Anthony, our friend, uh, or, or maybe if you're in, in uh, academia, do you just wait to, to be reprimanded, right? Do you continue in the system and do what you know you ought to do, waiting for the hammer to fall? I, I don't know. You've got an OPC background, right? There are lots of Presbyterian churches that were founded because people got a wild hair and said, I'm out of here, I'm not doing this. The OPC was founded because J. Gresham Machen was kicked out of the uh, Northern Church because he refused uh, to, uh, to support sending missionaries who weren't preaching the gospel, right? He waited until they kicked him out, and, and that might be a legitimate way to go with, with some of these things. I saw a hand over here. Bill and then Dave. Yeah, so it doesn't only happen out in the world, right? Uh, Dave has a last comment here before we move on to the next one. No? All right. Some, some parting thoughts here, and then I'm, uh, I will not stretch this into a third week, all right? We only have two more big questions. Um, Romans 12, we've talked about that, be at peace with all men. James 4, 17, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. That's uh, hopefully applicable. And then we do sometimes have to discern wisdom versus sin. Does this offend my conscience because I'm uncomfortable with it, or does it offend my conscience because it's against the law of God? And maybe, if it's not against the law of God, there's a way to go along with it, uh, and if you can maintain your integrity. Never, never right or advisable to go against conscience, but we have to wonder, is our conscience overly sensitive 
We can go in the other direction, though. We, we can have our conscience seared, and we can rationalize all sorts of things that the Scripture speaks very clearly on, and we, we ought not to do that. And so, again, I'm not answering uh, the question, but I'm telling you, here's, here's one application, discern wisdom versus sin. Uh, all right, here's, here's the big one that we're not going to talk about. Should women, especially mothers, work outside the home? Um, let me suggest, uh, as uh, we did before, let's uh, admit that in different places, different times, different situations, this is a comfortable conundrum versus a difficult decision. I should be a pastor with this alliteration. Um, by and large, not completely, but by and large, this question might be answered differently in our congregation than it would be answered in a congregation with lots of single mothers that need to provide for their children. We're in many other places in the world, and so we need to understand that we ask this question about women working outside the home from a pretty comfortable place now, uh, but we also need to re-examine God's providence, God's calling. Are there life stage issues? Are there times when really the greatest need, if you're a mother especially, not just a woman, where the greatest need in your home is to be at home with your children, recognizing that, that the mother and father are not uh, interchangeable exactly. Uh, they play different roles in the home, and, and there are different things that go on. Are there sacrifices that you have to make? Do you have to decide, uh, my career will not advance because I'm going to be available for my family, and that's okay? I know there are women in this congregation who have wrestled with and answered these questions and maybe answered them in different ways. And I, Again, I'm raising the question. Let's talk about it more later. Um, we also, when we come to this one, need to reexamine cultural pressures. What was the original cultural setting? Well, everybody worked. <laughs> it wasn't a matter of uh, did the husband work and the, the wife stayed at home. It was a matter of, were you a slave working for somebody else, or were you an agricultural family or a, or a trade family working for yourselves? Right? So, so there was work. Um, uh, but let's re-examine our modern living standards. Do we really, really need two incomes? And why? Is it to make ends meet, or is it to get that bigger minivan? Uh, let's re-examine the dignity of housework and parenting. That's one of God's callings. It's a good calling. In, in, in his scripture, uh, Titus chapter 2, the older women ought to teach the younger women to be quiet workers at home, loving their husbands, caring for their children. That's dignity there. God doesn't say, well, the older women should teach the women just to buck up and go along with it because it's going to be terrible. No, no, there, there's dignity in these things. We also need to examine unbiblical ideas regarding family roles. Uh, who cares uh, if it's the mother or the father or, again, not answering these questions for you. And I've opened this enormous can of worms, and I'm going to pray to close. Um, so keep talking. Uh, let, let's have some conversation among one another, uh, and, uh, and let's keep, th keep thinking about these. The last uh, question was about retirement. Some of you are answering and asking and answering those questions. What do you do when you retire? How do you spend your time? How do you know if you should retire? Some Christians say you shouldn't. Is that a biblical idea? What does retirement look like? Uh, have some conversations among yourselves. Let's, let's pray and we'll close. Gracious Lord, we thank you for the work that you call us to do. Uh, recognizing that your work is multifaceted. You, you call some of us uh, as pastors, teachers. You call others as professors, chemists, uh, homemakers. You, you call some as, as all manner of, uh, of, of uh, duties and callings in the world, whether we think there's much dignity in the job we have or not. Lord, you are our, our great first worker, and you call us to work uh, even as you are working. And so help us to understand the dignity of these things. Help us to be diligent. Help us to be uh, quiet workers without grumbling or complaining. Help us to be wise, uh, not to go against uh, what your word tells us to do as we seek to work in the world. Uh, help us, O oh Lord, to glorify you in all that we do. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.